The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? I think that I was really blessed by being able to see the struggle. And I think a lot of the people that are loving somebody with the addiction, they don't understand because they've never been the addict. And they always say, until you've been an addict, you'll never understand that struggle of how hard it is to not use. So... I would say that was my biggest blessing was just to be able to see that my mom struggled so hard and to see that, you know, if she could choose me, she would have. Yeah. Yeah, we want to so bad. Yeah, (laughs) we do. It's like and, and that's the most painful thing. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Tara Dowling. I love TikTok, you guys. Sometimes it brings me in contact with the most amazing people. And I was going to say the average people, um, but Tara is far from average. She is one special human. She had a TikTok video go viral and for good reason. And that's where I originally found her and just knew that I had to connect with her on the podcast. And it gets emotional, y'all. It gets really, really emotional. Tara's story is equal parts heartbreaking and inspiring. And in this TikTok, it showed a quick compilation of years of film footage that she had of her mom who struggled with mental health and addiction. And it was this beautiful journey of Tara learning to love her mom just as she was. And so today... She's joining me on the podcast. We're sitting down together to talk about her story, about what it was like growing up with a mom who was an addict, being in and out of foster care, losing contact with her for years. And then as an adult, wanting to seek her and to find her and to rekindle that relationship so that way they could eventually get to a place of of healing and understanding of one another's pain. And as you guys know, that's really, that's my philosophy, right? It's like, instead of shutting the door and shutting people out, let's welcome them in and hopefully home to themselves. Right now, wow, I really needed that message. Sometimes I say things, y'all, and I'm just like, yes. Welcome them in and home to themselves. I'm welcoming myself in and home to myself. That really should be this week's affirmation, um, but it's not. I'm not sure what Sadie picked. Once again, I am being held to the fire in my life. While I'm not ready to share the events that have transpired, that have led me back to my knees once again, I will share one piece 
of wisdom that has come forth. You guys know I'm a big fan of Pema Chodron and I love her work and I'm diving into her teachings more than ever before. But I had this, this moment of clarity and hopefully you guys will relate to it. So if we're all free falling, right? If this is just, if life is a free fall, right? That's what it is. We really have no control over anything. But if life is this beautiful, wonderful, scary, wild, intense free fall, you as a human being have a couple of options. Your first option is to go kicking and screaming. Fear the whole way, right? (laughs) You can live life going, fuck, this sucks. I hate this. (laughs) This is awful. The whole way down. Absolutely. You have every right to do that. Or you can cling on to hope, right? Which is also a lot of the times motivated by fear. But you can just free fall all the way down and hope your life away, hoping that it gets better and that something's going to catch you on the bottom. Or, and this is what I'm choosing to do right now, you can soften in the free fall. You can come to terms with the free fall. You can be with all that the free fall brings to you. You know, doing the work that I do, that we do, doesn't mean that life gets easier. It's just that we have an opportunity to respond to it with more love, more gentleness, more patience. And eventually, these bumps get a little bit easier. And we can soften in the free fall. And it allows us to be molded into a new version of ourselves to become whole again. Anyway, I'm really feeling my free fall right now. And there is absolutely a part of me that wants to either kick and scream or to have so much hope, you know, just please, please, God, please have me right now. You know, I'm, I'm alternating between both of those things and coming back to the present moment and being with my fear, and being with my sorrow, and being with my pain. And ultimately, it is bringing me peace, even though it is extremely challenging and painful in all of the things. But it's essential for me to integrate and to be grounded. And yeah, that's really, that ha, that is what has gotten me through the last decade of my recovery. I think I've spent more time crying in the last two weeks than I have ever in my sobriety. And the tears feel so good and so liberating and also so gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. It's all of the things. It's so complex. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> and I'm grateful 
that I have a community that can hold space with me and that understands and that hopefully resonates to something that I said on this intro. And so, yeah, with that, here is this week's episode with Tara Dowling. I love you all. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, send it to a friend or someone who's struggling with addiction or with a loved one who's struggling from addiction. All right. When I saw your TikTok of your mom and you, the one that has like 250,000 likes on it, I knew I had to have you on the podcast. And now I know why, because you're from British Columbia, like my husband is. <laughs> and there's a difference culturally. And, and it's not a huge difference, but it is far more progressive there than it is here in the States. My husband co-founded a treatment center that is really about fostering connection with addicts over controlling their behavior. Mm. And when I saw what you were doing with your mom, it was just that. And I can't wait to get into the backstory and I can't wait to learn more. But I just want to say that I find it really amazing because I have a sister who, after I got sober at 19, she continued to use for a couple of years and nothing worked. I We tried to get her in countless treatment centers and to see millions of different doctors and therapists and specialists and interventionists and and the works and nothing was working. And it wasn't until, and I've told this, this story on the podcast before, but in case anyone isn't familiar, it wasn't until I laid down all of my weapons and fully apologized for my part in our relationship and told her and showed her how much I loved her unconditionally that she did get sober. And that's not a guarantee that your loved one will. But if we can move away from the narrative that addiction is a behavioral issue and look at addicts or people suffering with substance use disorder as human beings who need love and who need support, their chances of getting help, I think, go up substantially. And that's what we've seen in our treatment center. Our success rates are like way higher than any behavioral modification program. And so when I saw your TikTok, I was just like, God, okay, I got to have her on. But to become an empathetic person, usually that doesn't come from having an easy life. And so before we talk about your mom and your journey with the documentary, I'd love it if you could give us like a background into what made you into the amazing person that you are today. Well, thank you for saying that. I credit a lot to my mom because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I am a part of her. And so the way that she views the world affected how I view the world. And the one thing people always said was that she was so kind to everybody and so loving. And so I grew up in that environment that, you know, if somebody fell down, my mom would pick them up. So I I learned at a very early age to look out for others. And I always loved, you know, stray animals and all things like that. You are correct with the fact that I think you do have to go through some pretty hard experiences in life to become empathetic because you then resonate with that suffering and that pain. And you never wish that on another person. And so when you see somebody suffering, 
you have this desire to just love them more because of your own pain. And everything is like a reflection. So I really learned through my life and through my experience with my mom's suffering to see my own pain, my own suffering, and to be in touch with that so that I could be in touch with hers and to validate my own experiences and to see that, well, the reason that I started the film was because I felt very alone and I felt like I was struggling through all these very hard issues that no one wanted to talk about. And I was so young. I grew up in, in this environment since I was born. So I didn't really have anyone to teach me how to do it. I just kind of stumbled along the way and tried to figure it out. And hopefully I'd have like a teacher or some person come in, like kind of help me along the way. But, you know, with my mom's addiction, we were constantly moving. So all those relationships were just constantly changing. I didn't have a stable connection to somebody that was healthy. And I had to just kind of figure it out on my own. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Native. For most people, the new year means rethinking how they take care of themselves. Native makes it easy to switch to a personal care brand that makes all of their products with simple ingredients. Native cares about the products that you put on your body. They're all about stopping the stink the right way. That's the Native difference. Native's coconut and vanilla scented aluminum-free deodorant has been a customer favorite for years. And now Native is on a mission to overhaul your entire hygiene routine. They create products that are made with simple ingredients like shea butter and coconut oil so you can smell great all day long. Native deodorant checks all of the boxes, aluminum-free, 24-hour odor protection, zero residue on your skin, and over 10 cents to choose from. Now is the time to treat yourself with Native. If you visit their site, you'll find not just deodorant, but body wash, bar soap, toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, and sunscreen. Everything that you need to take your self-care to the next level. I personally have been a big fan of Native for years. I do love their coconut and vanilla deodorant. It is so good. I also use their sunscreen and bonus that it's safe for kids. I use it on my little ones too. This year, up your personal hygiene routine with Native. Go to nativedo.com slash RFR or use promo code RFR at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com slash RFR or use promo code RFR at checkout for 20% off your first order. Setting new goals, creating and sticking to healthy habits, building a daily routine that you can actually keep. Making these changes should be easy, right? Well, if you're not sure how or where to start, then it's time to try Fabulous. It's been a game changer for me. Fabulous is the habit-changing app that gives you the tools and skills that you need to feel healthier, more productive, and more fulfilled. Fabulous helps you break free of negative habits while helping you build new healthy ones that stick. Fabulous does this by using a holistic approach along with behavioral science. Unlike other health apps, Fabulous focuses on self-improvement, mental and physical health, mindfulness, and productivity to build a daily routine that works for you. Say your goal is to be healthier. Fabulous breaks down the goal into daily tasks like reminding you to drink water, exercise, or even disconnect and unplug. Fabulous also offers weekly challenges that complement the tasks that I am already doing in my daily routine. 
I personally love the gratitude challenge. It helped me show gratitude to someone every single day for a week. And it helped me become more mindful in my negative thought processes. Becoming a Fabulous Premium member is a total game changer. Premium gives you the access to daily coaching, content sessions, unlocks all guided behavior changes and programs, and lets you add as many habits as you'd like into your routines. Start building your ideal daily routine today with Fabulous Premium. Get 25% off Fabulous Premium by going to thefab.co slash reality. That's T-H-E-F-A-B dot C-O slash reality for 25% off fabulous premium. Thefab.co slash reality. How a part of your life was your mom growing up? Because you were in and out of foster care for a big chunk of your childhood years. I don't know how that works in Canada, but I I mean, I only have my perspective of growing up here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you? Yeah, so from the time I was born until I was five years old, I lived with my mom while she was, you know, in active addiction. Um, My father left when I was three, so then, you know, she'd have multiple different boyfriends that were abusive, um, lots of parties at the house. And so social services got called and we got taken away and put in a foster home. And then my mom had to, you know, go to a recovery center and then we get put back in with her and then she would relapse again and we'd be taken away and put back in a foster home. And so that just went on from five years old till 10, where eventually, and it's not very clear because my mom never really wanted to talk to me about this, but she was either forced or she decided to sign us over to the government officially. So she released all of her parental controls. And then I continued to be in foster homes for the next five years until I was 15. So, yeah, I had a 10-year period of, you know, multiple foster homes, women's shelters, orphanages. Yeah. Yeah. And you kept in contact with your mom after she let go of her parental rights or did you not? I did. I, and I kind of show this on some of the TikToks, just how devastating that is for a person to lose the rights of their children. And so I think my mom just sunk really heavily into her addiction. Mm -hmm. And I would experience this thing where she would just disappear and we'd have no contact with her. And so I would never know, is she alive? She dead? Like, you know, we'd just be like hanging on for that one phone call that just says like, she's still here. Yeah. So that, that was definitely difficult. Then as I became a teenager and I started to have like, you know, issues as a teenager. I just longed for my mom. And so I started, I guess, at about 15 years old, really proactively trying to build a relationship with her. Yeah. Amazing that at 15, you had that insight, right? And granted, maybe it didn't come from like the healthiest place at a time because you're just longing for, for your mom, right? And, and I know how hard that is. My father is an addict and my mom is too. And just not caring about, you know, all of the pain and suffering because you just want them so bad. And then part of that is also amazing because you're like, okay, this is what it is. And I still want this connection with you. That's the harder route. The easier route is to go, well, fuck you. You're a mess. And I'm mad at you for what you've done to me. And how dare you? And I don't want to have any contact with you anymore. It's definitely the more challenging thing to continue to try with someone who is suffering with addiction and mental health issues. Yeah. Well, I was always a very curious kid Mm -hmm. and I had this spirit in me that just wanted to kind of dissect or understand things. So I think that kind of pushed me along because I thought, 
you know, innocently that I could save my mom. Yeah. So I tried. (laughs) And then as time went on, I realized, oh, okay, this is not what I thought it was. And she's in a lot of pain and suffering. And, you know, I think I always felt that it had something to do with me. And as a child, you would, you know, take that on. And it was really damaging to my self-esteem and and the way that I felt about just the world in general. I came from Mm. a very wounded place because I thought that I was the cause of her addiction. And in reality, through the time of just understanding her addiction by asking a million different questions, I started to see that, wow, she just is like me. You know, she's struggling through life, trying to figure it out. And I was just you know, getting the side effects of all this stuff. And, you know, it wasn't, she never had the intention to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing when we're kids and we don't have much perspective how much we take on. My husband grew up in Vancouver. His mom was addicted to substances and severely mentally ill. She ended up taking her life at when he was 14. And, um... I think that he carried that around too for a long time, that it was his fault, you know, that it would have been different, you know, had she not had a child or, or whatever his, his beliefs might be. And yeah, I, I understand internalizing that, that piece for sure. So between the time of 15, really trying to have a relationship with her and starting the documentary, what happened in that time period? And eventually, when did you start thinking, oh, I should begin to document this? So I used to do a ton of writing, actually, because I wanted to change social services and foster homes and like how the kids were treated. And so I think that's kind of what like sparked the idea to go into this work of, you know, making a documentary about my mom. I watched a film when or documentaries in England when I was modeling there. So I started modeling when I was 15 and I kind of went off into the world. And they just showed the harsh reality, you know, people shooting up and they didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't blind you from seeing it. And I was like, wow, if I'm ever going to like really show what I'm going through, people have to see how difficult this is. So then I was like, okay, I got to make a documentary. But, you know, my mom... And rightfully so, like everyone doesn't want to look bad, you know, and and to have that on film is like very challenging for her to come to a place where she'd be willing to do that. And so I kind of just started filming my life in general and just getting used to the camera. And and then when I was 24, my mom called me and she was like, I hit rock bottom. Like, I don't think I'm going to be around here much longer. Like, if you want to see me, you should come. So I was like, okay, but can I film you? (laughs) I was very determined uh, always to do things. And so she was like, okay. And so I trained my boyfriend at the time how to quickly use the camera. And we just like showed up and I'd taken like a small crash course on documentary filmmaking. And, you know, I think what I thought that I was walking into, like I had all these like um, shot lists and everything, you know, from a director's point of view, it was one thing, but in reality, it's a different totally thing. Totally different. <laughs> yeah. And I will say I relate to this because a couple of years into my sobriety, I started working with Vice Magazine and I brought them this idea and I go, I want to go into the streets with people who are currently in active addiction, specifically young people. And I want to just like follow their stories. And I, I want to go into the crack houses. I want to, I want to do it all. We filmed one episode 
and they didn't pick it up because exactly that it's you can't plan anything. You're literally just going for it and you have to be rolling at all times and you can request shots or like try to make things happen. But fuck, it's so hard. Yeah. And then add all the emotional aspects to yes. it, which is like I'm watching now. OK, so I'm like, oh, I've got to get that shot of my mom smoking crack. I mean, <laughs> already just even yes. saying that just sounds horrible than yeah. putting the child in front of the parent that's doing that and how that affected us both. Like I was really emotional after and I was like, I need to get out of here. And then she was really emotional because she had actually you know, she really tried to protect me from her addiction. And so mm. I didn't see her actively use until that moment. Wow. I had snuck in, kind of looked through a bathroom uh, door with like some of the childhood friends or whatever and saw my mom yeah. shooting up with a needle. But that was the first time I like voluntarily just asked her to do it in front of me. And the most beautiful thing that came out of that was, and I have it on film, my mom said, thank you so much. And she said, because if that didn't have an impact, then I'm further along than I expected. And she was severely traumatized from doing that in front of her kid. And that made her feel good because she was like, I don't know why I feel sad. <laughs> yeah. Probably because you're a mom. Yeah. And I think that um, someone who was like a heroin addict that's 10 years sober. Um, God, it's like, I, I can like easily tap into and feel the pain and the suffering and the shame that, that we feel in those moments. And I remember like my little sister catching me and the like heartbreak on her face. Like, you know, it's, you love someone so much but you can't stop. You just can't. And it's not, it's not your fault, you know, but I can't imagine had, you know, and I, and I know that this experience must be so hard for you. God, I'm not usually a crier, but I think, I don't know. There's something that's so beautiful and so therapeutic about that, but also so fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> Well, I think that it really shows the struggle, Yeah, you know, because if you love something so much, you would expect that you would be able to choose that thing. Yeah, but it's not. No. It doesn't work like that. My um, my childhood friend, Allie, I tried, I tried so hard to help her get sober. I was sponsoring her at the time that she died. And she had just gotten out of doing multiple years in prison and she was in uh, transitional housing and she had two beautiful children. And that's what all of her family said. Like, I don't understand. How could you not love your children more than your addiction? And I could try to explain until they're blue in the face that that's not how it works. You can love your children and you would jump in front of a fucking bus for them, but not be able to stop putting a needle in your arm. And she ended up losing her life. And it's just, it's, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. I, I think that is like something that's super important for people to understand yeah. because I think that I was really blessed by being able to see the struggle. And yeah. I think a lot of the people that are loving somebody with the addiction, they don't understand because they've never been the addict. And they always say, until you've been an addict, you'll never understand that struggle of how hard it is to not use. So... 
I would say that was my biggest blessing was just to be able to see that my mom struggled so hard and to see that, you know, if she could choose me, she would have. Yeah. Yeah, we want to so bad. Yeah, (laughs) we do. It's like, and and that's the most painful thing. And, and, you know, it's hard. The shame is like so crippling that it's like, it's this vicious cycle where it's like, you know that this is what you want and this is what you desire and you wish it could be different and you wish you could be different. But then that shame is also so crippling and the only solution because you're so limited in the tools that you have to cope is this drug Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, unhealthy behavior thing, whatever it might be for everyone. It's different. But wow. Okay. So talk to me about the process. How long did you film her for? So I filmed for a total of 15 years. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. I, you know, as I innocently went in there, I was like, I had my shot list. I was like, okay, I'm going to shoot all this stuff in a week. I'm going to make the film in a month. <laughs> I'm going to be famous. Like, you know, I went, yeah. and then it, it was just like, Sadly, I ended up leaving and, real, you know, at one point I was like, okay, I'm going to save you, mom. I'm going to take you out of here. You're going to get you better. And I just realized she wasn't she making wasn't. any changes. And, and you know, and then I thought, well, what is that going to look like in my life And if I'm dragging my mom around and she keeps using, like, so I had to walk away and I had to go back to my life. And, you know, and then she did get clean for a little bit. And then mm-hmm. I was like, no way, you know, okay, so now I have to film that because that's a yeah. huge thing. And then it was just like that. It just kept, so many things kept changing. And I was like, well, I got to document that then. And, you know, and it, so it just kept going on and on. And to be honest, it was one of the most beautiful things that happened for both of us because it saved our relationship and it gave us a purpose. And so we didn't come in it just from the stance of, you know, mother and daughter struggling through this experience. It was like, no, we, we're making a film together, you know, we yeah. like would have things to look forward to. And I, I would get her involved in like what to shoot. And I'd have all these questions and I wouldn't tell her the questions before. And, but it was like something between us. It was like a safe space because we had this project that we could explain things that were really hard to talk about. And so I could ask her questions that normally I might be too scared to say, but because mm. I was in the director role, I was like, well, I'm doing this for everybody else. <laughs> so it gave me more power to, I guess, to ask those questions. And for my mom, I think, that, honestly, she just, she wanted to give me something. And so that was the film. You said when you walked in here, and this is so cool, that your mom was a patient of Dr. Gabor Mate. Mm. <sighs> Love that man so much. <laughs> if you guys are unfamiliar with Dr. Gabor Mate's work, please, I mean, all of his books are great, but please pick up his book, In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts. Amazing. Do you remember that time period? When he was her doctor? Yeah, yeah I actually have him on film for a couple of minutes. And I didn't know who he was. I just thought it was oh another doctor. God, amazing. Yeah, and then I think he ended his practice down there. But, you know, yeah. in that book, he actually talks about a lot of the patients from where my mom lived. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, he, ugh, I love that man so much. So in the final year of you filming, your mom passes away after you're done filming, during the film, like how did? No, um, as I, I thought, you, you, so my mom got emphysema 
And so she, or COPD, um, she was on a couple oxygen tanks just to go outside. You know, she lost the ability to walk pretty much. And her just, her health kept declining. And I do believe that, you know, there is a potential that if my mom didn't get that illness, and she got it from the heroin that she was using, actually. And so a lot of people don't know that, you know, it damages so many different parts of your body and you can develop all these different, you know, diseases from it or illnesses. And then on top of that, you know, she smoked a lot. So, (laughs) yeah, so she ended up getting incredibly sick and her health was deteriorating constantly. And the doctors gave her six months to live. And this was like in 2012, I believe. So again, that phone call comes and it's like, Tara, come back home. I have like six months to live. The doctors have told me this. So I'm preparing my family again and myself for my mom's death. And I get home and, you know, we start to talk about it and and she doesn't want to talk about it. It's terrifying. Well, then she ends up living for like seven more years. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was just such a fighter. And, oh, you my know, God. But I got to see the talk deteri- about resilience. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this woman is literally like ironclad. Yeah. That's remarkable. So, you know, and, and so that was another chapter to to film because yeah. this was another thing that happened to people with addictions. And it was another thing that happened to our lives. And how do we how do we work around this now? Now, I thought that I was like pretty far ahead on understanding her addiction and feeling comfortable with that. Now, all of a sudden, I've got this other disease that she's got. And like, so I I just kind of knew that the film would finish probably when my mom's life finished. Yeah. And sadly, I knew that that was probably going to come soon. But um, a lot of people ask me, like, did she die from an overdose or did she die from her disease? And actually, my mom chose to go. So in Canada, they made the um, assisted passing available to people. And she had gotten, I think it was like pneumonia or something. And so she was hospitalized and she just couldn't fight anymore. And she was like, and then, you know, it's so interesting because she said, you know, am I going to go to hell? (laughs) That was something that she was really terrified about, about making this choice. And, you know, obviously I can't answer that for her, but I was like, mom, you're, you're a good person. Like, I'm sure that you're going to go off to wherever it is that you want to be. Yeah. So yeah, I captured that, but out of respect for her life and I didn't document it, but I Mm -hmm. documented like parts of it. So like after her passing, I actually had a friend come and I was said, can you just shoot me? Because, like, you know, I'm so emotional. This is, of like, course. my best friend. Oh, like, my God. You know, yes. we've had this crazy journey. And so, yeah. And then I continued to shoot maybe for, like, a little while longer. But I wanted the film to finish with her. Yeah. Yeah. What were those final days like for you? I'm assuming you were there. Okay. So I I say this with a smile on my face because everything about my relationship with my mom was, like, bittersweet. So there was always, like, a really hard thing that we'd have to deal with, like, death. Okay. (laughs) But then, you know, there's always this, like, funny thing that happens or, like, crazy or weird. So we're in the hospital. My mom's drug dealer comes in. And I don't think I should say who she is, but I'll explain what she looked like. The drug dealer? (laughs) Wait. Okay. So it's now 2019. And your mom still has a relationship with this drug dealer she's probably had for, like, well, this is a newer one. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so she one. comes in. She's like, you know, a lesbian, very like butchy <laughs> okay. with with pink hair, big long press on nails, got this accent. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like, it's just my life is a comedy show a lot of the time. <laughs> and then she's like trying to say to my mom, like, no, 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 you're going to fight this. And I was like, listen, my mom's like done. She's just like, please don't make her feel bad about yes. her choice. So anyway, she's like, 
you know, so my mom and I have like, I think it was like 24 hours while they make this decision. And my mom can't really breathe. She can't talk. She's just like, Tara, can you make the decisions for me? And I'm like, oh my God, okay, fine. <laughs> like, I don't want to be making somebody's end of life decisions, yeah. but because I love her, I'll do it. So I was just like looking for sparks in her eyes. And I was like, and then they were asking like, how does she want to go? Like, where does she want to be transported to? And they come and they inject the stuff into your vein so, Do you die in the hospital or? No, because the uh -huh. hospital was um, Catholic, I believe. And so it's against the oh, religion. Lord. Okay. So there was two choices that she had. She could either go to the top floor of the hospital and naturally die, which they would take off all life support. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. And she didn't know if she'd be in pain. pain. They didn't know how long how it was going to last. How long you'd suffer for. Yeah. yeah. And the other option was you leave the hospital and then they go and then inject you with yeah. this stuff. So I had to make that choice for my mom. So we chose the one to go back to her home. And so it was so cute because her drug dealer, you know, is like on my team. She's like, how can I help? And I was like, <laughs> she was just like amazing. And I said, well, my mom and I always- Pause for yeah. a second just because I love how you're not even mad at the drug dealer. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're so, just like, hey, drug dealer, you've been supplying my mom with drugs. Yeah. But, and this is the viewpoint I would have. But I think most people hear that and go- Wait, you're spending time with your mom's drug dealer as she's dying. Yeah. So this is actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I came to see that the drugs were my mom's best friend. Yes, exactly. And I came to see that my mom's suffering and her pain that she kept wanting to numb yeah. It gave her that coping mechanism exactly. and her that relief. The drugs are not the problem. Yeah. No. The yeah. drugs are not the The trauma and the pain is the problem. Mm -hmm. And the drugs are actually the solution. And while they might not be the healthiest solution, they're the solution that works for a lot of people. And it is not our right to tell people when to stop using drugs. Mm -hmm. But I just love that little piece that you're with her drug dealer going to say goodbye to your mom. Yeah. So then she's like, well, what can I do to help? And so my mom always had this thing and, and anyone that's dealing with someone with addictions will know that they sell everything you give them for drugs. Yeah. So like I had this little bottle of champagne for a long time and I kept bringing her one and I was like, we're going to have champagne together and she keeps selling it. So I'm like, can you just buy a bottle of champagne, my mom's favorite rose, like flowers and like so she does that and she gets like the most expensive bottle of champagne, the most beautiful flowers. Like oh. we got back to my mom's, um, you know, my mom was living in a woman's shelter for people that were like, it was like a hospice yes. for addicts, which you were saying like in British Columbia, it's very advanced for how they treat people with addictions because she was able to use while she was there. Yeah. And, you know, they were just trying to give a better quality of life. Yeah. As and, we should. Yeah. So um, I guess it's called harm reduction, which is, you know, I was learning all this stuff along the way. So anyway, so, you know, my mom, my mom passed in, in that um, situation and she was surrounded by the nurses that worked in the place. Everyone came to say the goodbyes. I actually had like a second mom. So when I was 12, I um, had this woman, I was going up for adoption and I decided not to go through with the adoption because I didn't want to leave my birth family. But I got this social worker who actually became like a second mom. So Aww. since I was 12, she's been in my life since then. And actually, she knew my mom. It's like a crazy story. So she flew in and she was there. And my mom was just surrounded by like five women that just absolutely loved her. And it was, you know, I held her on the bed while she, while she went. <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> what is going on today? I mean, because that's really how it should be. Like... I think about all of the addicts whose families walk away and who die alone in some alley somewhere. And it doesn't have to be 
No. And that's what, <laughs> that's really what we were trying to show with the film yeah. was like bringing love to the fight against addiction. That That is really what our film is about. And it's, you know, it's not easy. It's definitely oh not God. easy. It's the hardest thing <laughs> yeah. that you possibly can do. It is not the easier choice at mm-hmm. all. It's much easier to walk away. Kind of. Because in the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have all that suffering and pain when they're gone. Yeah. Because you're going to wish that you did something different. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people say. Like, I wish I understood more about addiction before my parent or my lo- like my yeah. loved one died, you know. And I think that's what Dr. Gabor Mate is amazing about is he's trying to bring awareness about addiction so yes. that we can humanize it and the stigma surrounding it so we can just see that this is a person that's suffering. And why are we making them suffer more? Yeah, absolutely. Where are you at with the documentary now? So after multiple tries to get this thing done and hard drives crashing and everything, um, I had a friend offer to help uh, edit it. So we've completed it pretty much. Tomorrow is the last day of editing. And then we're going to send it off to get the sound correction and all that sort of stuff. And I had a fundraiser. It didn't do amazing, but... What I've learned through TikTok uh, is that this is not a Hollywood film. This is just a real life situation that was recorded and it's helpful and it's real. And people really liked that about the post. So I put little snippets on the TikTok and one woman said it's it's almost uncomfortable because you get to be in such a vulnerable place with my mom and I. Yes. And because my mom was so open with me, you don't often get that experience with a lot of people with addictions because they're ashamed and they're just, they don't know how to express what they're feeling. And I was really fortunate that my mom and I had a good enough relationship that she trusted me. Yeah, the final, when I did this piece for Vice, we ended up scratching all the other footage that we did with everyone else. And it just kind of happened perfectly. My ex-boyfriend, who was my drug dealer, contacted me as I was filming this. And he had broken both of his arms. (laughs) And he was still figuring out how to shoot up, even though he had two broken arms in casts. And he reached out to me and said, I need help. And I said, well, would you be comfortable filming this? If so, I think I can get you into treatment. And he said, yes. And it was the most heartbreaking. I mean, it's like a condensed, very short episode, right? I had just given birth to my first daughter. So this was eight years ago, but people loved it. I think it has like close to 2 million views now on YouTube and it is vulnerable and it is raw and it is different to watch. I I don't like the show Intervention. I don't Mm -hmm. think that it's helpful to addicts. I don't like the show Celebrity Rehab. I don't think it's helpful to addicts. I think spending time with them, getting to know them, understanding the inner workings of their mind, being willing to sit with them in non-judgment, being able to love them when they feel the most unlovable is an incredible thing to witness. And I'm really glad that you had those experiences with your mom. And I'm glad that I had those experiences with Kevin and with everybody in my journey that has continued to use. Thankfully, Kevin did get sober. But like I said, my friend Allie did not. And countless others haven't either. And I'm just really grateful that 
thought leaders like Gabor Mate and that documentaries like yours exist because people need to see this other side and that it can be done differently. And not only that it can be, but that it needs to be. So thank you for this. And do you have a release date now for the documentary? Do you know when you're going to put it out? Not yet, but my mom's birthday is February 19th. So maybe that would be a good date. Okay. Yeah. Well, I look forward to watching it. I love your content on TikTok. Where can people follow along with your journey? Yeah. So I have a website. It's the film name. So it's to the moon and back documentary.com. And then my TikTok is addiction underscore talks. Love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This week's affirmation is I am in alignment with who I truly am. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 